So we're in that series called Passion. Over the weeks, we've, we've defined what passion is. We've defined what passion isn't. We've used the image of, a, of an iceberg and called for passion that, that goes deeper. We've introduced some, some new language, talked about it. Say it. It. What is it? Don't know. Don't know what is it. But it is the life. It is the, the energy. It's that attractive, spirit-filled something that churches and individuals, they either have it or they don't have it. Now we're going we're gonna to finish the series, and it's Jesus, his life, that we're finishing with. And what's come out for me over the weeks is Jesus' passion, his passion. And that's where I want us to, to go with this. And I want us to, to relive, to walk alongside, to meet Jesus. And to know and to, to ask the question, what were you passionate about? Jesus, what was that fire? What was it that you had? And how can we burn with that? And that's going to be too hard for me. This isn't going to happen without God, without that encounter. Because you can only go so far teaching this. This is about catching it. Catching what Jesus had. Catching who Jesus was. Catching what Jesus said and and what he did. Catching his passion. And to get that, to catch that, we've got to look at his life. To get alongside Jesus, to, to look over his shoulder and ask the question, what were you passionate about? And I think, I think the answer is easy. Sure, Jesus was an incredible teacher, a a miracle worker, an inspirational leader, the bringer of an earth-changing kingdom. But what he had, that passion, the answer is easy. Jesus, he had passion for people. He was in amongst them. And Jesus, he had passion for the for the Father. He prayed, he, he talked with God. See it as horizontal out to people. See it as vertical up to the Father. The answer, the answer is easy. And it cuts through all the all the religion, all the knowledge, all the hype, all the all the red tape. And we get it in Matthew 22. When Jesus and uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are, are talking. They're out in force. They were the religious police, the supposed keepers of the the sacred that claim to have the the God-given privilege. And they're firing out all these questions for Jesus. And they're all so irrelevant. Paying taxes to Caesar, marriage at the resurrection. It's insider talk. And they're after a mistake. An opportunity to shut Jesus up permanently. But Jesus... He breaks out of that. He cuts through that. And when the Pharisees asked, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What Jesus was saying is, get these two right. Get your vertical relationship in place. Love the Lord. Commit to the Father, heart and soul. Get your horizontal relationships in place. Love your neighbor. Commit 
to people. Living, loving and giving to people out in the street, out in the towns and the cities, out in the world. Get that right. And then they could enter the kingdom of God. Get that wrong. Cut God off. Cut people off. Then it didn't matter that they followed the other laws. It didn't matter that they could tell Jesus what Abraham said. They were in danger of being lost, of being outside of God's kingdom. What was Jesus passionate about? The answer is easy. People and the Father. Horizontal and vertical. A guy called Peter Forsyth once said, you must live with people to know their problems and with God to know how to solve them. And Jesus, Jesus, he seemed to hold that perfectly. I mean, he would, wouldn't he? He was God. But for us, for us, because this is about passion, that energy, that, that fire in, inside of us, there's some dangers here. There's a danger of only being with God and getting caught in some Christian unreality where our relevance, our language, our acceptance of others, the opportunities to see people getting saved can get reduced to zero. Then there's, there's the danger of only being with people and the positive thoughts and the, the positive outcomes and maybe they get people through but there's no possibility of meeting Jesus. And the solutions, even though right, even though they could last for a lifetime, they don't have any eternal significance. When people die, they're lost anyway. So the talk. The talk, where are we going with this? It's about the life of Jesus. And it starts with people, Jesus in and amongst them. And then it's about God, Jesus praying and talking with the Father. So... Looking over Jesus' shoulder. I like the way Jesus did things. It's a, it's a good start. Because when I read about Jesus, I get the sense that he wandered around. Now that works for me. I like wandering around. <laughs> Although probably, probably if you're wired up differently, you see Jesus as having a purpose. And God did have a plan. There was movements that gains momentum towards Jerusalem and the cross. But no matter how you're wired up, Wondering or wondering with a purpose, and there is a difference. Jesus incredibly had time for people. Even when his disciples got all panicked and the scene got chaotic, Jesus could see one person in the crowd. He could look at them. He could look at us in the crowd and speak. And one day, one day Jesus is out wandering, teaching, and there's this rich young man the encounter comes in mark 10 and the rich young man he starts out with a with a question he says to jesus what must i do to inherit eternal life jesus comes back at him with the commandments don't murder don't commit adultery don't give false testimony don't defraud anyone you must honor your father and, and your mother it was obvious it was obvious that the young man had kept all of these jesus knew that he knew the young man. He knew that he was confident in his self-worth, in his self-righteousness. Jesus also knew where it was going to hurt. And there's this throwaway comment before Jesus said it. In verse 21 it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. 
one thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. It was going to be too hard. The Bible says Jesus looked at him and, and loved him. There was compassion, there was affection. But the young man, his face fell. The riches had got a hold of him. And he turned his back and he went away sad. Have you ever... Have you ever put yourself down, thought, I missed it there with that person? They were with me. They were close, close to coming into the kingdom. And before I said that, before the conversation got too hard, Jesus, he didn't have a 100% success rate with this. But, and this is important, even when people turn their backs, Jesus loved them. It wasn't over for him. His passion for people returned him to the Father, and he prayed. A second encounter comes in John 11. Jesus is out teaching beyond the the Jordan River, probably in a place called Perea, when he gets the news. Mary, Mary the same Mary that had poured perfume on Jesus. Mary, the the sister of Lazarus. Mary and her her sister Martha arrive. They come to Jesus and they, they said, Lord, the one you love is sick. Again, affection. Jesus is amongst people, amongst friends. But he does. He does something unexpected here. He delays, he waits two more days. And during that time, Lazarus dies. And then Jesus and the disciples, they head off. On Jesus' arrival, Lazarus has been dead and in the tomb for four days. And there's people and there's noise and there's disappointment, even bitterness. And when Jesus and Mary and Martha get to the tomb, it says that Jesus wept. It says that he was deeply moved. And I often hear, and I'm sure you hear, people criticizing God, calling him distant and and remote. And I can understand that. Sometimes when you're in the midst of a, a situation that's causing hurt and and distress, we could all feel that God has gone silent. But if, if what is written here is true, if we believe this, if Jesus is the, the God-man of the, the Gospels, he lived with humour and with joy. But more often than that, he lived with pain and he lived with rejection. And for us, catching his passion, catching the, the passion of Jesus is going to hurt just recently, I finished reading a book by Pete Gregg, the founder of the, the 24-7 prayer movement. It's called God on Mute. And he writes out of his own situation where he's experiencing unanswered prayer, even silence. And Pete says this. He says, more often than not, instead of airlifting us to safety, God parachutes down to join us in the muck and chaos of our situation. That's God, isn't it? That's God. Sending Jesus to earth. God's presence in the the midst of life, in the midst of people. God's presence there because we're there. And the outcome of this encounter, Jesus shouts out, Lazarus, come out. And in verse 44 it says, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off 
the grave close and let him go. God in Jesus parachutes in. He joins us, familiar with pain, familiar with rejection, familiar with suffering. And then we, we can become Jesus to others. We can parachute in and and join them in the chaos of their situation. Another encounter. And so often, so often I find myself back here. It comes in John 13 and I think it's the most moving, the most revelatory scene in the Bible. Jesus had finished washing the disciples' feet. And then there's this devastating moment. Jesus tells the 12 that one of them is going to betray him. Silence. Silence. You can almost see the shock on their faces. And then Peter motions to the disciple closest to Jesus. In John 13, verses 23 to 25, it says, One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to the disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. And leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And there's vulnerability here. You don't expect it of God. The tenderness in that friendship between Jesus and the disciple. And maybe, maybe especially as as men, we can struggle with this. Somehow it's not macho anymore. And to be tender, to be gentle. It can seem like we're, we're losing our masculinity, but I think that's wrong. This isn't the, the blonde-haired, blue-eyed, dress-wearing Abba star, the Jesus that often comes through art. This is Jesus, the dark-haired, rugged individual who loved people when he said hard things to them, who cried with friends and, and felt their pain, who was vulnerable and could get close to other men. And for all the words of affection and tenderness, there was blood and nails and violence at the cross. Jesus, the God-man, he got amongst people. And in his passion for them, he cried, he was moved, he loved and was loved. And finally here, with Jesus and people, one more encounter. Because being human isn't all about hurt and pain and, and suffering. I think it's God's sense of humor that the first miracle that Jesus ever did, his first public appearance was at a wedding. In John 2, Jesus is at a party with his mom. Well, that could be a downer. (laughs) Sorry, mom. And then, and then the wine runs out. But to save face, Jesus' mom gets him to do a miracle. And he turned water into wine, a serious amount of wine, a serious amount of partying, probably 180 gallons, lasting over seven days. I'm sure the invites kept coming in. Jesus did go. He did go to the temple in Jerusalem and the synagogue, but much of Jesus' life, much of his ministry was out on the road, in the towns and the villages, amongst people, at meals, talking and teaching. So Jesus is there wandering around, eating free food. I like the way he did things. But he was criticized. He was criticized for that. In Luke 7, verse 34, it says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you say, here is a glutton and a a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
And it's almost as if Jesus says, yes, now you're getting it. Going where people are, accepting them where they're at. This is the kingdom of God coming on earth. And guess what? Those people, those people are getting saved and coming in before you because you're so religious, so bound up with your own self-righteousness that you can't believe you need saving. And I've realized that if we're going to have, if we're going to have the passion of Jesus, we must be around people, laughing together, crying together, being confused and asking questions and finding some answers together. And then through us, there's the possibility that Jesus can come into their lives. That's the the horizontal, Jesus with people. But then there's the, the vertical, Jesus with the Father. In Matthew 6, Jesus does some teaching into this. He shows us how we should pray. He gives us a prayer to use. And Jesus warns us against hypocrisy, where we pray for show, being obvious and loud so that we get seen. And Jesus warns against using lots of religious sounding words. And he says, when you pray, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Jesus isn't against corporate prayer, people praying out loud together. But he is saying our relationship with the father must come first. What gets worked out behind a closed door when we pray is the life and energy and strength out of which everything else, what people get to see and hear, everything else comes out of that relationship. And Jesus knew that. And he practiced that in Mark 1, very early in the morning while it was still dark. Jesus got up, he left the house and he went off to a a solitary place and he prayed. Then in Mark 6, Jesus left the disciples, went on a mountainside and prayed. Again in Luke 5, news about Jesus had had spread. The crowds had gathered, people coming for healing. But Jesus pulled back. He often went to a lonely place and prayed. And you wonder, you wonder what a a marketing expert would say to Jesus. Maybe Jesus, you're doing it all wrong. You need to give the crowds what they want. Airtime, onstage presence. But you realise Jesus needed that ongoing conversation with the Father. And then you realize how much more we need it. Karl Barth, the incredible theologian, he said, prayer is a a necessity as breathing is necessary to life. Prayer, the vertical, keeps us passionate. It keeps our faith alive. And when we don't or can't get behind a closed door on our own with the Father, Sooner or later, our faith goes cold. And passion, passion, it burns itself out. And sometimes, sometimes you you read something in the Bible and it stops you dead. In Hebrews 5 verse 7, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission and it hit me it hit me what if what if the measure of my faith the measure of my passion for the father is the time that I spend with him now I'm secure in my salvation but standing there at the end facing God there's the chance he could ask the question 
Dan, how well did we know each other? We didn't talk all that much, did we? Sure, there was a, there was a lot going on. You were amongst people, but talking, praying, just me and you behind a closed door. And it seems the longer that we're following Jesus, the more we realize that we're dependent on him. That our strength, our understanding fails us and we can't go it alone. We need the Father. We need his spirit. And it's prayer that releases this. Having the passion of Jesus is about carrying God's presence. And time with the Father means we have that. And we take on the the things of God. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 16 it says, We have the the mind of Christ. Now sometimes I feel a long way off having the mind of Christ. But it's a desire. It's a desire and that's the, the thrill of prayer. Having God thoughts. Having God emotions. Having the, the passion of God running through your mind and running through your heart. That's prayer. As necessary to life as breathing. And through being amongst people, the horizontal. And through meeting the Father, the vertical. There's the possibility that people can hear Jesus. People can see Jesus in us. And Jesus, the master of the impossible, is still praying. Still amongst people. Even as he's hanging on a cross. In Luke 23, there's two thieves one on the left of Jesus, one on the right. And there's this conversation going on. One thief running Jesus down, the other realizing that this is the Son of God. And again, looking over the shoulder of Jesus, the answer to the question, what was Jesus passionate about, is easy. It's people and the Father. It's horizontal. It's vertical. And the thief there, hanging on his own cross, turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Another person enters the kingdom of God. And then Jesus committed his spirit into the Father's hands. It's horizontal. It's vertical. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're now there. The way is open to the Father for everyone that believes. We've all got that earthbound life to live first. And it's my prayer that as a church, we have the passion of Jesus. To love, to love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul. And with all our mind. And to love our neighbour as ourselves. Let's pray.